Several years ago, Sydney and I, we had the joy of becoming friends with an amazing couple uh, that pastors a church just, you know, 10 or 15 minutes from here, kind of southeast of the city, a couple named Phil and Connie Dillingham. They've been here before. Maybe you've met them. You've probably heard me talk about them. Just amazing couple doing some great things. But one of the things that they do, kind of their side hustle to earn a little bit of extra income to kind of support their ministry, is they raise and they breed golden retriever puppies. And so my wife, Sydney, she grew up with um, golden, uh, golden retrievers. And so for as long as we've been married, it's not if we were gonna get one, it's just like when were we gonna, it's just this inevitable journey like I've been on uh, since the day that we got married. And before you send me any emails, I'm not anti-dogs. Um, I'm just anti-more responsibility. I've got three little kids. <laughs> I don't, I'm not begging for any more responsibility. And so I've just been like fighting the dog thing for like a long time. Like I, I don't want a dog, don't need a dog. I'm perfectly happy, but last year at the beginning, beginning of the pandemic, you know, most of you know this, we got a dog, and it started with my oldest son, Micah. He said, hey, Dad, can I call Mr. Phil and just ask him about the status of his dog's love life and when they're gonna have some more puppies? And, and, uh, and so in my mind, this was a totally safe question because I had talked to Phil, and I thought I remembered Phil saying, hey, we're not having puppies this year. So I'm like, yeah, man, call, it'd be great. And so Micah calls Phil, and I'm just kind of a few feet away, and he's like, hey, Mr. Phil, this is Micah Clayton, and I'm just calling to ask about the situation under puppies, and immediately Micah's voice changes, and I'm like, oh, no, this is not good. Yeah, yes, sir. Yeah, yes, we can. Yeah. Hey, Dad, can we be there on Friday? Yeah, we'll be there on Friday. Um, <laughs> And, and I knew in my heart, like, there's no scenario, there's no scenario that we get in a van, we drive 20 minutes to their house, we see a puppy, we hold a puppy, we cuddle a puppy, and we leave without a puppy. There's no, there's no way that happens. And so we come back with this puppy. He's amazing. He's a year old. We love him. He's been great for our family. But as the year's gone on, one of the things that I've noticed is he engages with me differently than he engages with the rest of the family. And so when, when my boys ask him to do something, he does it. When Sydney asks him to do something, or if she just looks at him, he does it. When I ask him to do something, he immediately begins to suffer with SOD, which I don't know if you know what that is, but it's situational obedience disorder. Like, he looks at me, and he's just like weighing this thing out, like, hey, um, I don't know. Like, you know, what'd this guy make on his ACT? Uh, you know, what, what's the pros and cons list? He's just working it out. And, and whether or not this dog will follow me, obey me, do anything I ask is just totally up in the air every single time. And so the other night, I'm feeling good. Our relationship was on solid footing. Uh, he and I were really vibing and uh, opened up the gate. I moved the Jeep around to the back. I'm letting him have some freedom in the front yard and it's time for him to come back. And so uh, uh, I'm, I'm like, hey, Scout, come on, buddy. And he, he takes that first step towards me. And some of you that have dogs that struggle with situational obedience disorder, you know this look. Like he takes a step and then he sits. And he's pondering. And I don't know how to explain, but it's just like liquid rage just begins to grow up in me. I'm like, I feed you. I house you. No one out in that wild world knows your name, cares about you but me. Please, and I'm like bartering, please, it's late. Please, I'm tired. And he just turns and he runs. And what started low just begins to go high. It's just like, just like taking over. I'm so angry. And I don't know if you've ever had one of these moments, I'm sure you have, where in the midst of one thing that feels radically non-spiritual, the Holy Spirit shows up and speaks something really poignant to your heart. And as I'm trying to get this blasted dog back in our backyard, <laughs> the Holy Spirit just, he just gently in my heart said, Dave, this is what it's like doing life with you. Nobody knows you like I know you. 
Nobody loves you like I know you, uh, love you. <laughs> Nobody is seeking your good like I'm seeking your good. Yet so often when, when I speak to you, you begin to move, you begin to, you, you begin to step, and then you hesitate. And what you see in your dog is, is what I see in you, is that your life is, is plagued by situational obedience disorder. And, and the Spirit of God, he just, he just was speaking to me that night in the front yard in the midst of my rage, just dealing with my dog. He said, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to move beyond this situational obedience. You can be a church attender. You can be a morally pretty decent person. You can be a decent husband, you can be a decent neighbor, you can be a decent coworker, but you cannot walk in intimate friendship, fellowship, life-giving joy and hope unless you say, hey Jesus, no matter what you say, no matter where you lead, the answer for me will always be yes. And the Spirit of God, he just kept revealing in me, hey, there's something in you that whenever I speak, you're like your dog and you pause. And I wanna help you get beyond it. I won't make you raise your hand this morning, but have you ever noticed that tendency in yourself? That whenever the Lord asks you to step into something that doesn't line up with what you want, doesn't line up with your ways, doesn't line up with your wisdom for understanding the world, that there's just this thing in you that begins to barter, that begins to negotiate, that begins to look for an interpretation of scripture that lines up with the thing you're already committed to doing in the first place. That there's this tendency in us as human beings that when the word of God doesn't line up with our desires for life, that we begin, to looking for, we begin looking for a different interpretation of the word of God. And the Holy Spirit just kept saying, hey, if you want to live in intimate friendship as my disciple, you have to get beyond situational obedience. And there's this beautiful moment in Luke chapter five. It's one of my favorite stories out of, the guy, uh, out of the life of this guy named Simon Peter, a real guy, historical guy, one of my favorite guys in history. And what I love about Peter is whatever he's into, he is either all in or he is all out. There's no halfway. He's just like full octane. So human. Sometimes he's really right. Sometimes he's really wrong. And, and I relate to his complexity so much, but there's this moment in Luke chapter five where he has this, this one step of insane obedience. And as I look at it, I go, man, Lord, that's where I want to be. I'm just not quite there yet. And I'll just give you the context for the story. At this point in, in Peter's life, uh, he was a fan of Jesus. He'd probably been around Jesus for about a year. Jesus had been in and around his hometown. He'd heard Jesus teach. He had seen the power of Jesus, not just out in public, but in his own home. Uh, Jesus had healed Simon's mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law. He had, he had been up close and personal with Jesus. Jesus was not a stranger to Peter, and Peter was not a stranger to Jesus. But Peter was not yet a sold-out, wholehearted follower, disciple of Jesus. He was, he was still kind of negotiating the terms with what he would do with Jesus' life. And the truth is, that's probably where a lot of us are in this room, even if you've been in church your whole life. A lot of us are still trying to follow Jesus with fine print. Yeah, Jesus, I want you to save me, but I'm not quite yet ready for you to lead me. <laughs> Jesus, yeah, I'll, I'll go there and do this, but this area of my life is off limits, and that's where Peter was in Luke chapter five. And it picks up like this, if you have your Bibles, Luke five, starting in verse one. It says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee, it says the people were crowding around Jesus and they were listening 
to the word of God. And so I just want you to picture this. You can hear the lake behind Jesus. You can, you can smell the air. You know, the lake has a smell, right? You know, they're there. The, the sun is on their face. And at this point in Jesus' life and ministry, he was a, a burgeoning celebrity. Everywhere he went, the crowds would show up. The paparazzi were there. People, even if they weren't interested in what he was saying, they were, they were curious in who he was. And so this crowd has gathered around Jesus. And Jesus is making the most of the moment as he always would. He opens up the scriptures. He begins to teach them from the word of God because he knows it's the thing that will lead them into life. And so he's preaching. And look at this verse two. It says, Jesus looks over and he saw at the water's edge two boats that were left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. And so the fishermen were not in, this boat, in these boats at the moment. They were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter, and he asked him, to put the boat out a little from shore, and then he sat down and he continued to teach the people from the boat. And so Jesus, the creator himself, the one that had spoken this lake into existence, the one who had created the eyeballs that were staring at him and the human ears that were listening to the word that was being preached, he understood the reality of acoustics. He knew in a world where there were no speakers or microphones, if you were gonna speak to a crowd, you had to use some things to help you cheat. And so Jesus gets in a boat, he pushes out on the water, he uses the lake to kind of amplify his voice. I don't know if you've ever sat on the dock of a lake in the still of the evening and just notice how easily you can hear the voices traveling across the lake. But Jesus, he pushes out in the boat. The crowds are on the shore. He's speaking to them the word of God. And I love this. The crowd disperses. The sermon's over. Verse four. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for the catch. And so there's this moment where Jesus takes his eyes off of the crowd and he hones in on the individual. And I'm sure if you've been following Jesus, you know what this moment's like, that moment where the penetrating heart of Jesus comes face to face with who you are. Peter no longer hides behind the crowd. He no longer hides behind what's going on. Jesus turns and looks right at him. And, and look what Jesus says. He says, put out into deep water, verse four, and let down your nets for a catch. And I love Simon uh, Peter's response. It says, Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. And so I'm gonna take just a little bit of creative license here. I want you to imagine Jesus shows up at your workplace and you've busted it hard all week. You've, you've been on that sales call in Phoenix and you came back and you didn't sleep well. You didn't eat well. Your client was not easy to deal with and you come back and your spouse goes, how'd the trip go? And he goes, I didn't make the sale. Whole week worth of work for nothing. This is the moment that Peter's in. He's worked, he's done everything he knows how to do. He's tried everything he knows how to try and it's come up for nothing. He's disappointed, he's frustrated, he's tired, he's exhausted and Jesus shows up and Jesus says, hey, I know you just got done finishing like washing the nets but let's actually like push back out. Let's go out, let's go fishing again. And you can hear it in Peter's voice if you just use a little bit of your imagination. Just read between the lines. Peter's like, hey Jesus, you're a carpenter. You're a nomadic rabbi. You're a preacher. I'm a professional fisherman. <laughs> I fished all night. I've done everything I know to do. It hasn't worked. Peter's like the dog in the front yard. He's hesitating. <laughs> do I move forward? Don't lean back. But I love this. If you don't remember anything else from this morning, I hope you remember this one phrase. Look at verse five. He says, but because you say so, he says, because it's you talking, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so, Jesus, I will let down the nets. And it keeps going in verse six. 
When they had pushed out to the deep water and he let down the nets, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that the boats began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. He fell at his knees instead of his feet because the boat was filled with fish. It's as low as he could get. So he falls at Jesus' knees in a boat covered with fish. He says, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at what had happened, the catch of fish they had just taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus looked at Simon Peter and he said, don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on the shore, they left everything they had and they followed Jesus. And there's so much we could dig into in this story, but I want you to go back to verse five, just this one moment. This one moment in verse five. Jesus says, Peter says to Jesus, because you what? Come on, because you what? Come on, help me out. Because you? Because you say so. There's this moment where the word of Jesus contradicted Peter's wants, where the word of Jesus contradicted Peter's ways, where the words of Jesus contradicted Peter's wisdom. And Peter had a decision to make. When Jesus contradicts everything I want, everything that makes sense to me, who do I listen to? And it's one of those moments where Peter gets it insanely right. He says, hey, Jesus, because you say so. I don't know if you ever noticed this before, but have you ever noticed that sometimes obedience to Jesus is easier than others? You know, there are moments when when Jesus is gonna ask you to do something that is right in line with what you already wanted to do, that is right in line with what makes sense to you when you look at the world. Sometimes the word of Jesus lines up with your wants and lines up with your wisdom. And I've had people push back on that before and they say, Dave, that never happens. It's not true. There are times when Jesus will call you to do something that is right in line with what you wanted to do anyways and right in line with your understanding of the way the world works. Remember years ago, right after we had started Ethos and I was working another job and I was burned out and exhausted and Sydney and I were burning the candle at both ends and burning the candle in the middle. I mean, it was just like, tough go at it. We're going really, really hard. And one night, the Spirit of God, through His Word, through our community, through our relationship with each other, in the still, quiet places of our own heart, began to speak to us about the way that we were doing life and ministry. And I'll never forget this. The Holy Spirit just kept saying, hey, if you all don't change the way you're living, you will not really experience life. In other words, if you don't slow down, if you don't start embracing the Sabbath again, If you don't gain your way of doing life for me, you're gonna be burned out, you're gonna be worn out, you're gonna be wiped out. And if you're not careful, the work of God through you is gonna kill the work of God in you. It was one of those moments where Jesus was speaking to us and it was right in line with something we knew we wanted. We knew we wanted to slow down. We knew we wanted rest. We knew we wanted a different pace of life. But it wasn't just in line with our wants, it was also in line with our wisdom. We look at the way the world works and we go, everything is better when it rests. Everything is better when it gets a breather. Everything is better when you take care of yourself. And so it was one of those moments where even though it was hard to step into the obedience, the obedience made sense to us. But here's what I want you to hear. That level of obedience is like obedience 101. <laughs> It's the lowest level. It's, 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 not, it's not bad. I'm just saying it's just the lowest level of obedience. When, when you obey Jesus because it lines up with what you already wanted and what already made sense to you with your worldly wisdom, 
That's the lowest level of obedience. But the more difficult level of obedience, the type of obedience that really leads you to life, is what's unfolding here in Luke chapter five. Where Jesus asked Peter to do something that didn't make sense to him. It didn't line up with what he wanted. What Peter wanted was not to go fishing again. What did Peter want? Just put yourself in his shoes. What Peter wanted was to, to bring the, the boat all the way into the shore, to pack things up for the day, to go home and have a beer with his friends, to sit down and talk with his wife, to, to kick his feet up, to, to rest, to relax, to do whatever it was, and to start the next day. That's what he wanted to do. It didn't line up with what he wanted to do, the words of Jesus. It didn't line up with his wisdom. It didn't line up with the way the world worked in his mind. He looks at Jesus and he goes, hey, Jesus, the fish don't bite at this time of the day. You don't find the fish in that part of the lake. That's not the way that it worked. And there was this moment where the word of Jesus directly opposed Peter's wants and Peter's wisdom. And he had to decide like a dog in the front yard, what do I do? And friends, this is where discipleship is found or forfeited. Not in the moments when Jesus calls you into the thing that you are eager for, but in the moment where you have to wrestle with, does he actually know what's best? Does he actually want what's best? And is he trying to lead you to life? You know, earlier this, this week, I was just reminded of how profoundly deep my own wrestle with situational obedience disorder still runs. You know, I've been trying to follow Jesus for around 25 years, and in my mind, I'm like, hey, surely, Lord, I'm growing in this. But this week, I was, I was just reminded just how profoundly I struggle with obeying Jesus on his terms. I'll just give you two simple examples. So on Sunday, a week ago, on Sunday afternoon, I was, I was with our elders, and we were meeting, and we were talking, and we were praying, and in the midst of that, that meeting, I said something off the cuff. I just shared it quickly. I didn't really think about it. It just came out of my mouth. I'm sure you've had uh, these moments where something just comes out of your lips faster than you mean for it to. And the moment it came off my lips, the Holy Spirit just nudged me and said, Dave, that's not the way men of God are supposed to use their words. And immediately, internally, I felt guilty. <laughs> and I began to, to reason with the Holy Spirit, to barter with the Holy Spirit. Like, it's not that bad, it's not what I meant. And instead of just walking in obedience and repenting right there on the spot, I gave a half apology to my brothers that were in the room. I just kind of, oh, sorry. I didn't mean it that way. We moved on, went about our day, didn't think anything of it. That evening, I'm getting ready to lay down and the Holy Spirit just keeps reminding me, hey, Dave, today you were not careful with your words. That matters to me. You need to repent of that. And the truth is that word from Jesus, it did not line up with what I wanted to do and it did not line up with my wisdom. It did not make sense. I'm like, it's not that big of a deal. And so I did what any Southern man of God does. I did my best to ignore it. I went to sleep. I woke up the next morning and the Holy Spirit was just convicting me again. Hey, and I just kept pushing that voice away. I go about my day uh, that afternoon. I find myself in another conversation with another group of friends. And once again, without without trying to be nefarious, without trying to be wicked, like just in the middle of that conversation, I just say something off the cuff quickly. And as soon as I say it, the Spirit of God just goes, hey, there it is again. That's not the way you're supposed to use your words. And immediately I get defensive. I'm sure none of you have been in this battle before. You're all more spiritual than I am. Like, but I'm just defensive. I'm like, Lord, it's not that big of a deal. 
Lord, what are words? They're just human constructs. You know, I'm just, uh, uh, I'm doing that thing that we all do, you know, where you're just like, oh, what's it, what, what is it? Just wrestling, d- debating. And then the Spirit of God begins to do within my heart. I'm just naming this so you'll recognize it when it happens in your life. The Spirit of God begins to do what the Holy Spirit, what Jesus promises the Holy Spirit would do in John chapter 14, where he says, in the right moment, I will remind you of everything that I've taught you. So in the moment of this internal wrestling match with the Lord, the words of Ephesians chapter four and five come immediately to mind. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. No coarse joking, only use your words to help build others up. I'm like, no, Lord, I'm pushing it away. And then the Holy Spirit gives me one more verse out of Hebrews chapter three. And this is the one that was like the sledgehammer to my soul. Hebrews chapter three, he says, when you hear the voice of the Lord today, do not harden your hearts as you did in the past or tomorrow you will not hear him anymore. And I just said, oh. And I talked to so many churchgoers who just go, I just don't ever hear God talking to me. And I go, chances are somewhere along the way, you made it clear you didn't want to hear him speak. And we shut the voice out. We become proponents of situational obedience where we weigh it out. And I get in the car, I'm driving home and and I call and my friends and I send out texts and I'm repenting and I almost didn't even tell you the story because it ends with me doing the right thing, but that's not what was actually revealed to me this week. It wasn't that I'm like so awesome and did the right thing. The thing that was revealed to me is that deep within my heart is still this proclivity to hear the clear word of God and then to wrestle with whether or not I wanna say yes to it. That deep within me, is this fatalistic tendency to treat Jesus more like a buddy that's shoulder to shoulder with me than a Lord that's trying to lead me somewhere. And if we wanna walk in friendship and intimacy with Jesus as his friends, we have to know how to listen and to receive his word first and foremost as our Lord. Jesus, whatever you say, even when it, if it doesn't line up with what I want, even if it doesn't line up with my wisdom for the way that the world is working right now, because you say so, I'll say yes. So you guys, everything in the world is, is working against this reality in your life. We could spend a whole month just talking about this. Like part of the reason it's so tough to take Jesus at his word is because you have an enemy who hates, who hates Jesus, who hates you. It's what Jesus says in John chapter 10, is that everything good that God wants to do in your life, the devil, is actively looking for ways to steal that goodness, to kill that goodness, to destroy that goodness. It's what he did in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. It's what he tried to do in the desert with Jesus. It's what he's done with human beings ever since is that he is constantly assaulting the word of God so that you won't trust the word of God in your life so that you will just hesitate just a little bit because he knows that if you believe the word of God, it would bring you to life and joy and flourishing. And so if he can just get you to hesitate like a dog in the front yard. Part of the reason it's so tough to take Jesus at his word is because you have an enemy that's opposing you. Part of the reason it's so tough to take Jesus at his word is because you live in a world that is constantly just speaking against this reality that Jesus deserves and and gets the supreme authority of your life. 
Guys, the air we breathe, the water we're swimming in, whatever metaphor you wanna use, the stuff you listen to, the stuff you read, the conversations you have with your friend are constantly telling you the message that you deserve the right to set the parameters for your life. The world's constantly telling you that you get to be your own moral authority, that you get to call the shots, that you get to be the queen of your heart, you get to be the king of your heart, you get to determine what you do with your body, you get to determine how you steward your sexuality, you get to choose how you use your time and your energy and your finances and your language and your relationships and all of that. And I just wanna say this as plainly as I know how to say it. When you enter into the waters of baptism, when you say, I'm gonna follow you, Jesus is king, you are surrendering the rights to be your own leader. But the world pushes against it. It's why Paul says in Romans 12, he says, be so careful that your life isn't conformed to the pattern of the world because there's a pattern in the world. It's what he says in 2 Corinthians 10, verses three through five. He says, watch out for the things that have set themselves up against the knowledge of God. So part of the reason it's so tough to take Jesus at his word is because there's an enemy that's working against you. Part of why it's so tough to take him at his word is because you live in a world where everything in this world is convincing you that you get to call the shots. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Your way is your way. It's not the way of Jesus. And part of the reason it's so tough to take Jesus at his word is because there's still something just within us as individuals. It's not the work of the devil. It's not the work of the world. It's just our own selfish, fleshly tendencies. It's what, Jesus, it's what James, the half-brother of Jesus said in James chapter one, verse 14. He says, so often we find ourselves entangled in sin because we were coerced or drug off by our own sinful desires. Like there's just something in me at the end of the day, guys. I'm, just, I'm not talking about you, just me. There is something in me that just wants to be in charge. And so Jesus comes in and he says, hey, I've got life for you. I've got flourishing for you. He cares about so much more than just how you use this hour on Sunday mornings. He wants every nook and cranny of your life to be under his will, his ways, his purposes. He wants to use you as a trophy of his grace. He wants to use you as a dealer of hope. And everything he says is towards that purpose, but when he speaks, if you're anything like me, that situational obedience disorder just begins to flare up and I just pause. And the truth is, I, I wanna believe I'm like Peter in the boat. You know, I'm sure you've done this before. Hey, Lord, call me anywhere, I'll do it. Send me to Africa, send me to the Middle East. Like, send me, Lord, I'll do it. And like, I think a lot of us, we, we, we live with this deceptive, level of just like false heroicism, whatever the word is. We, we live as like false heroes, like, hey, if you call me somewhere big, I'll do it. And Jesus is just like, hey, I'm just really interested in you taking me seriously right here. <laughs> hey, before I'm gonna call you to Africa, I just really need you to speak more kindly to your kids. Hey, before I send you over to the Middle East, before I call you to sell all of your possessions, I just, I, I want you to take me seriously right where I have you. And what I keep learning about myself and what I learned the hard way this week is that if I'm really honest, I'm way more like the rich young ruler than I am Peter in the boat. I tend to come to Jesus on my terms, hoping he'll validate me for my reasons. And when he calls me to do something I don't wanna do, I tend to walk away sad. And I'm like, Lord, break that in me. Help me with that. 
Because there's something in me that's still convinced that Jesus doesn't know what's best for me and doesn't want what's best for me, or sometimes maybe even both. And so I just keep trying to navigate things on my own. Remember when I was in high school, I had a youth pastor who is new to our church when I was in eighth grade. And he shows up, and I remember that first summer he was with us, he had a huge influence on my life. He said, every Wednesday night this summer, that was like our big youth service, he said, every Wednesday night for 12 straight weeks, I'm gonna preach the same sermon out of John chapter 10, verse 10. And I actually thought it was a joke and a gimmick, but we got to about week three, and we thought, dang, he's actually gonna do this. And, uh, and this is getting kind of old. And I mean, same story, same illustration, same sermon. And uh, looking back on it, he's probably just trying to take it easy for the summer, but he's like, he's like hey, I want you to get this in your hearts. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life to the fullest. And maybe the only thing I learned from my youth pastor is one of the most significant things that I've learned is that the motivation of Jesus towards every one of us, towards every one of you, is that you would experience the fullness of life. And that everything he would say to you is not to punish you, is not to burden you, is not to wear you down. It is to bring you into the very thing you were made for, yet most of us resist. And so when we hear that still, small voice of the Lord, it says, hey, how quickly do you move? You know, I don't know what things are gonna look like in the future as we continue to move into what God has for us. But man, when I think about our church coming in on the other side of this pandemic, I hope one of the things that becomes abundantly true of us is that we are both a community of individuals and we are a community that is just radically, joyfully, wholeheartedly excited to be a because you say so kind of people. Jesus, whatever you say we're in. And so I'll end with this, just a, a couple of really simple practicals. How, how, how do we move from situational obedience? How do we move from situational obedience to just wholehearted following Jesus? I think, with, I think it starts with us learning how to really search out the life of Christ for ourselves. I can stand up here and talk about Jesus, but I'm just telling you, until you really wrestle, until you really look at his life, until you really ask yourself the question, is he really the greatest person that's ever lived? Is his way of life really the greatest way of life ever? Until you've wrestled that out for yourself, you will not have the strength to walk through those moments of uncertainty. You gotta wrestle it out for yourself. I wanna encourage you to open up the gospels, open up the scriptures. Look at human history and go, is there anybody that has demonstrated a better, more wonderful, robust way of life than Jesus? And maybe this sounds sacrilegious to you. I'm saying if you can find somebody better than Jesus, then follow them. But I'm wholeheartedly convinced if you really search it out, you won't find anybody that's even in the same hemisphere. Look for people who in their lives take Jesus really seriously. I'm not just talking about church, like your average churchgoer. I'm just like, who's somebody you know that takes them seriously? And then look at the fruit of their life. Sydney and I have some really good friends. They're an amazing family, big family. They have like 41 kids, all of their kids, crazy about Jesus, love Jesus. And what I've often thought of is if you just spent one evening with this family, I'm convinced that no matter what you believe about God, if you spent one evening with them, you would come with questions because you'd go, what is it that they have? What they have is the life of Christ in them. Part of the way we move from situational obedience to, to legit obedience is 
we really, we drink in the life of Jesus. We search out the life of Jesus and others together. Secondly, we have to make the decision that against all the odds, that we'll just surrender our ways to him even when it doesn't make sense. In other words, at some point, you're just gonna have to decide beforehand, what decision will you make when the word of Jesus contradicts your ways and your wants and your wisdom? Our boys play baseball and our youngest son, he's in a league where when they're up batting, three strikes and you're out or five pitches and you're out, it's one or the other, whatever comes first. And so often there's this moment where they get to pitch number four and there's only like one strike and the coach will yell the same thing from the dugout. Hey, this is your fifth pitch. No matter what, you've got to swing. You've got to swing. And it's amazing how, how much the kids' batting percentages go up on that fifth pitch because no longer are they trying to make a quick decision in the moment what they're gonna do. They know, they know whether it's high or low, inside or outside, if they have to get a, on a ladder to hit that thing, if they have to run across, they're, they're gonna swing. They, they make up the decision beforehand. I go, as followers of Jesus, if you would just make up the decision that when you open this word, in community by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you would decide now, before you find yourself in the moment, that you'd be a because you say so kind of person, God would do infinitely more than you could ask or imagine. So here's what I wanna do before we take communion. I'm just gonna give you two questions. I just invite you to close your eyes right now. Just kinda close your eyes, bow your heads, and I'm gonna give you two questions. You can just reflect on these questions on your own. I just invite you to ask the Lord about these questions. The first question is this. Hey, Jesus, is there any area in my life where I've been reluctant to obey you? So just right now, you can just say, hey, Jesus, is there any area in my life where I've been reluctant to obey you? Just pay attention. What comes to mind? What comes to heart? Or is there any area where I'm slow to move when you speak? Second question for you. Jesus, is there any area where I am refusing to obey you? It's no longer reluctance. Like you've made the decision. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. So what I wanna encourage you to do before we take communion, before we sing, right now with two or three people next to you, I'm not gonna ask you to share unless you wanna share, but what I wanna ask you to do right now is to get in groups of two or three and to just spend a few minutes praying out loud together. Hey, Jesus, would you help us to be a because you say so kind of people? Would you help us to be people that take you at your word? Would you help us to be people that are quick to obey? So turn to somebody right next to you. Get in groups of two or three. If you wanna keep reflecting on your own, you can, but we're gonna use the next five or six minutes to just pray together. You can circle up your chairs if you want. And then I'm gonna lead us into a communion moment and we'll end with the time of worship. But let's use this time right now to just pray for one another.
I want to invite you to take the communion elements and to stand with me. And guys, this is so important. I want you to hear this, you know, all morning. All morning we've been talking about the significance of obedience. And oh, please, please hear me. Please pay attention to this. Salvation comes not because of your obedience, but because of Jesus' obedience. Salvation comes not because of your obedience, it comes because of Jesus' obedience. And so it's so amazing after this conversation about obedience, which leads us into maturity, which leads us into deeper relationship, which leads us into life and wholeness, to stand up and to break the bread together and to take the cup and to go, every good thing in our life doesn't happen because we're so good, but because Christ was so perfect. Because of who he is and what he does, and it's his obedience that has opened the door, and it's from his place of obedience that we take him at his word, and that we trust him. And so I want to encourage you, you take that top little wrapper off and to take out the, the wafer. I said this last few weeks, we'll get back to the good communion bread soon. For now, it's this. Just repeat this after me. This is the body of Christ, broken for us because he loves us. So receive the bread together. Open up the cup and repeat after me. This is the blood of Christ. Spilled for us because he loves us. Let's receive the cup together. I want you to do this. Turn to somebody next to you and wholeheartedly say, you are loved by God. Come on, turn to somebody on the other side and say, you are loved by God too. We're gonna end our time just by thanking Jesus for his love, for his obedience. We're gonna worship together. If you wanna receive prayer, if you wanna give your life to Christ, there's gonna be some men and women at the Respond Banner. But I just wanna encourage you, it's uh, with eyes on his obedience, with hearts for his obedience, with love for what he's done, we're gonna just turn our hearts in praise uh, to King Jesus. So let's sing this together.